And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Pastor Paul Murphy. And Paul, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Pastor Murphy, our listeners may recognize your voice because we sometimes air your sermons over the network on proclamation. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about evangelism. So, Pastor Murphy, why don't you take it away? Um, So, I'd like to discuss uh, something that's a passion of mine and has been since I was converted many, many years ago, and that is the subject of evangelism and uh, spreading the good news of uh, Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I think that um, what prompts my... uh, yeah, my interest in talking about this today is uh, a recent observation, which has been pointed um, in, in my in my uh, my perception, and that is that conversion growth in our churches, and by our churches, I refer broadly to Reformedville, uh, Reformed and Pres- Presbyterian churches. Um, uh, particularly, uh, I'm a member of the United Reformed Churches in North America, but I'm familiar broadly with, uh, you know, OPC, PCA, URC, Reformed Baptist churches, etc. So I, I think that conversion growth in our churches is largely absent, and I think that is a sign of uh, something that is not healthy in our ministries, and I think it's something that needs attention and something that is in need of uh, correction. So um, I have uh, dedicated myself to trying to correct that within my own uh, denomination and my own church. Um, I have recently uh, been uh, assigned the task of pastor of evangelism in my local congregation, which is Messiah's Reformed Fellowship in New York City. And um, I intend to work to develop a what Max Stiles in his book on evangelism calls a culture of evangelism in our congregation. And I am, I've recently been traveling and promoting that idea uh, to other churches in my denomination as well. I think the idea of having someone dedicated full-time um, as paid staff to the work of evangelism in our churches, I think that's an idea whose time has come. Yeah. Um, so well, I'll give you a little bit of rationale for that. We started Messiah's Reform Fellowship about 21 years ago as a response to the terrorist attacks of September 11th, and we were a beehive of evangelism in our early days, um, going door-to-door uh, in lower Manhattan, uh, working out on the street, uh, street preaching, one thing or the other, um, and um, but as the congregation grew and as pastoral demands grew, um, there was less and less time to be doing outreach and evangelism and more and more time uh, devoted to uh, the demands of pastoral ministry, counseling, preaching, teaching, one thing or the other. Um, and I think that's the case for most people um, in our our churches, at least the ones I'm familiar with. And I think that uh, that disables or uh, uh, fails to allow 
for a minister to fulfill the Pauline mandate to Timothy, which is to do the work of, of an evangelist. Yes. So I, I think the time has come uh, where we correct that. And probably one solution, maybe apart from hiring a full-time pastor, would be uh, to give a pastor um, 20% of his time to do evangelism. Um, I know one pastor actually a number of years ago in Michigan, a colleague of mine, who in his letter of call had uh, specified that he be given 20% of his time to do evangelism in order specifically to fulfill that Pauline mandate. And it was granted uh, by the leadership. But I have not heard of that anywhere else. And uh, I think most churches are reluctant to say that, yeah, one-fifth of a pastor's time should be for those outside the congregation. So the alternative to that is that we actually uh, hire or call somebody uh, to be uh, engaged in full-time work of, of doing evangelism for the local church. So um, that's why I say I think it's an idea whose time has come. Nobody wants to um, uh, you know, detract from the demands of, of pastoral ministry in a local church uh, so I, I think the the alternative to doing that would be to have somebody doing the work full time. I do believe that it should be somebody um, with authority from the church. So either an ordained elder or a pastor. In my case, um, I have recently been granted emeritus status, which mistakenly is referred to as retirement. But um, <laughs> I don't believe in retire. I don't believe in retirement. So no. Um, so I, I want to, uh, I will do this full time as long as I'm able and as long as I'm wanted. So I'll, I'll stop there and ask if you have any comments or questions. No, that's really good. Um, it answered some questions right up front. I knew you had a change. And um, uh, our, our our dear friend, uh, Jerry Wiss, suggested that we interview yes. you. And uh, he helps us here at the ministry on one of the pieces that goes into our magazine style program um and he's he's brilliant he he puts together really good stuff he's a he's a writer as well as many other things but yeah, uh, he's a good brother gifted writer yeah he really is um but he's not here to defend himself so we better not talk behind his back <laughs> um when you do evangelism and today we're talking with Pastor Paul Murphy. Um, do you ever feel afraid of what's what's out there, and and is it is it uncomfortable for you? Can tell us a little more. I, I think naturally um, we tend to be non-confrontational people, so uncomfortable is something that that comes with with the territory, yeah. and you just have to you have to push through that and just. Uh, and just go ahead. And once you start doing it and you begin to talk to people, it's just self-generating. It, it's uh, it's in, enthusiastic. It, it, it generates excitement. And whenever you get to talk to people about the gospel, it's, it's, it's exciting whether or not they respond. In terms of danger, um, I have been surprised in the 20-plus uh, years that I've been doing evangelism with this particular church in New York City that very uh, infrequently have we encountered hostility. I can only think of one or two times oh, yeah. uh, of all the times we have been going door to door out on the street that we have uh, encountered bald hostility. 
the major response that you get and is indifference. And that can be very difficult to deal with. Um, it can be very discouraging to be out there pouring out your heart, trying to love on people, trying to tell them about the love of God and Jesus Christ and his death for sinners and uh, and just be met with, yeah, well, what's the price of bananas today? You know, I mean, it's, it's yeah. so different to most people. So that can be very disheartening, and you just have to fall back on your theology and realize that, yeah, one man sows and other waters, but God has to give the growth. Amen. And, and that's always my, my great encouragement um, is over and again, you see God encouraging Paul um, with respect to, you know, his missionary ministry that, yeah, he, he has people out there. Just just do what I'm telling you. And um, I think you have to navigate between two two extremes when it comes to being reformed and doing evangelism. One is to rely wholly on the sovereignty of God and salvation and just say, well, I did my part. The rest is up to God. I think that can often be a cop-out. On the other right. hand, you can forget about the sovereignty of God and salvation and just become discouraged and depressed and despondent that so few people uh, respond positively. So you, you just have to navigate that with prayer and, and being soaked in the scriptures uh, that God's promises and purposes are, are part and parcel of, of your spiritual food nourishment. So, Have you ever seen someone that... Um you've talked to maybe all your life <laughs> and you prayed for and hoped and pray that they'd come to the Lord. And, and then finally they came to the Lord. Have you ever found somebody like that? Yes. I, a, a number of times, I think once uh, street preaching, the only time I have ever heard somebody ask the question, what must I do to be saved was in response to street preaching. Um, so, uh, street preaching has a terrible reputation in our day, largely because it's caricatured, but, uh, that, that's always something that, that keeps me going is that's the one time I heard somebody ask that question. Yes. But many, many times other people definitely, um, over the course of, of time have, um, yeah, come to saving faith, come to repentance, uh, through yeah, through the ministry of the word, just telling people what God says and what God requires. Um, so yeah, I, I've seen that numerous times. Uh, yeah. Although I'll have to say it's not always as immediate as somebody responding to a sermon that's preached on a street corner and asking what must I do to be saved. But over the course of time, yeah, I think God's spirit and God God's word works. I um, I'm of the opinion that um. When a person finally comes to the Lord, maybe before he had no interest at all, maybe he was antagonistic towards the gospel, but something happens, and that is very much the Holy Spirit's work. Can you describe that a little bit more? Sure. I think that, um, yeah, I think over the course of time, and I realize that theologically conversion is punctiliar, that is, there's a transition from darkness to light that occurs when when somebody is 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 born again. But I think that broadly uh, connotated conversion is a process, and it was with me mm-hmm. um, initially thinking, if I could use myself as an example, um, initially thinking the claims of Christ when I first was confronted by them, I thought them foolishness. I thought that I knew better as somebody that had. Uh, uh, a philosophy degree and an education in religion. And, uh, and yet as I began to, uh, 
um, speak to more and more Christians. Um, and afterwards, subsequent to my conversion, realizing that there were people that were praying for me during that time Mm. is that God used, God used their prayers. God used their witness. God used their answers, um, and things that they weren't even aware of to begin to change me and uh, bring me to, to saving faith. And I think that's often the case. Um, things that were very, um, yeah, in, uh, uh, that were not momentous in themselves. I remember talking to somebody and I'm talking again about my own conversion and just saying how many times I had almost died, how many times I had almost come close to death. And somebody just asking me the question, what did you ever ask yourself? Why God, God let you live? I had, I had never uh, (laughs) asked myself that question. Um, and unbeknownst to that person, that, that really stuck with me. Um, another example was um, when um, pe- uh, certain people would tell me, you know, God says, or the Bible says, or Jesus says, and I-, I began to ask myself, why would anybody believe what I believed? It was just the smorgasbord of religion and philosophy. At least these people have a reason for what they believe, and it's it's rooted in something that's objective. It's not just their opinion. Um, and again, unbeknownst to them, they didn't know that that was the effect they were having on me. But those were things that I pondered and stored up in my heart, so to speak, uh, that I think the Lord used to, to and the, the Spirit used. And, and all along, God was answering prayers. I met somebody after I was converted, and he he said to me, I, I've been praying. The person that first witnessed to you here told me about you, and I've been praying for you for six months that you'd become a Christian. That's beautiful. Unbeknownst to me unbeknownst to me. So those are the means that, that God uses. Um, and like I said, it's not always immediate. It's not always dramatic. It's over a course of time. Um, but God uses those means to bring, bring people into his kingdom. And I've seen that over and over and over again. Yes. Even with people that were openly antagonistic, uh, to the gospel have a complete reversal, 180 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Um, I have a friend who we've talked to before, and he's into um, evangelism also. And maybe you've heard of this guy. His name is Al Baker. I know Al Baker, sure. I've yeah. known him a long time. Yeah. yeah, and he's very active in this, and the, the Lord has apparently blessed his work as well. Um, but there's not too many of you guys around that are really... No, there aren't. You know what I mean? Um, yes. I think, Especially in our circles. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. uh, maybe maybe something's wrong with our seminaries. <laughs> well, I, I I think I think that's true. I am on the board at Mid America Reform Seminary uh, in the Midwest. Oh yes. and we have just started we have just started a center for missions and evangelism Very to good. compensate for for that omission in the curriculum of the seminary. So I, I think you're right. Yeah. When I was, I graduated Westminster in Philadelphia, and um, I headed up a group there called Seminarians on the Street. We would go out every Friday and do oh my. some kind of ministry, either evangelism or uh, sidewalk counseling or door-to-door or something. And um, But that that was not an emphasis in, in, the, no. in the curriculum uh, at all, you know? Right, so, right. I do think there's something there. Yeah. Absent from the seminary. Agreeing with you, yes. Yeah. 
Today we're talking with Pastor Paul Murphy, and uh, Paul has been pastoring Messiah's Reform Fellowship in New York City, and now he's moved over to a pastor of evangelism, and uh, he's Pastor Emeritus, but he's busy as can be, and uh, I I take it that you want to keep it that way, Pastor Murphy. I, I most certainly do. I, I want to uh, devote all my energies and, and all my time to this as long as I can and as long as I'm wanted. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. You taught yeah. me something. I, I didn't realize that Messiah's Reform Fellowship uh, formed kind of out of a response of the terrorist attacks of 9-11. Um, did I get that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, we started in 2003. Um, down in Lower Manhattan, uh, Ground Zero was at the western end of Fulton Street, and we began at the Siemens Church Institute, which at that time was located at the eastern end of Fulton Street, with the hope and prayer that God would turn that tragedy into a triumph for the gospel. Um, so we certainly have gotten off the ground as, as as an established church as a result of that. So we're very thankful for the Lord's Lord's blessing. But you may remember the power of prayer. Uh, it's the title of a book put out by Banner Truth. Do you know that book? No, I don't. Anyway, I, I forget who the author is, but it um, it is an account of the 1857 revival on Fulton Street um, in the Dutch Reformed Church. Um, I'm trying to remember, remember the man's name. It escapes me at the moment, but uh, he began a, a prayer meeting for businessmen on Fulton Street, which is, of oh. course, parallel to Wall Street. Uh, in Lower Manhattan, uh, met, began a noontime prayer meeting for businessmen, and he just asked, Lord, what would you have me to do? And he began a prayer meeting, and it sparked a revival that spread throughout uh, Manhattan, throughout the city, and then throughout the state, and even, I think, uh, it spread west um, as well. So, sadly, God didn't spark a revival with our work there, but um, it's a historical footnote to, to our beginning, at least. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, I often think that the, the, the missing ingredient right now in America is revival and reformation. In other words, a, a great awakening um, mm-hmm. and that the Holy Spirit does. That Not, not we, we. We participate, but all of him, all of God, where he gets all the honor, all the glory, all the praise, and Amen. man is not lifted up. Man is nothing. Uh, don't don't take right. me wrong. I mean, man is made in the image of God, so he's not nothing. But uh, he should not be getting praise for the for the works of God, and we see far too much of that today. Um, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Right? Yeah. Um, we've got maybe. Uh, Oh, six or seven minutes left. Um, if there's a pastor out there today that is listening and you would like a, to leave a, a word of encouragement with that pastor because they can get so worn out, um, what would you want to tell that that tired pastor today? <laughs> yeah, well, I would say one thing. I have been there. I have gone through a season of burnout uh, some time ago, and I know what it's like uh, to be discouraged. I know what it's like to be downcast uh, in the ministry. The work is hard. Um, I would say uh, just uh, be faithful. Uh, Stand on God's promises. Stand on His purposes. Do the work of an evangelist. 
It is invigorating. It is refreshing. It is renewing uh, to be out there and talking to people about the gospel, whether or not they respond positively. Just the mere fact of telling people about the love of God and Jesus Christ is is renewing and refreshing. So, um, I would I would just encourage you to do that. And, and of course, yeah, it can be difficult depending on your circumstance, Pastor, but. I think the best thing is just to get out of yourself and get out there and do what we were called to do is mm-hmm. love God and love your neighbor. So, yeah. 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 And the best love we can give to our neighbor is uh, to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's good. And then what about yeah. what about the, uh, the churchman that <laughs> goes from week to week? He's tired, too. He's, he's trying to work his uh, everyday job, but what 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 he what can he do for his pastor? He's got hardly no time left himself. Um, sure. What should he be doing? Yeah, I think that you know, Paul in Romans twelve uh, says, "I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God," which, of course, what he has talked about for eleven chapters up to that point about the good news of the gospel. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship. And I think what Paul is exhorting us to do as the beneficiaries of the good news, as the recipients of God's grace, is to offer the entirety of our lives, all that we are and all that we do, um, to the Lord as our spiritual act of worship. And therefore, I would say that um, I am not, definitely not, calling you after your full-time vocation to go out and spend another 10 or 20 hours doing evangelism. But realize that God has placed you where you are to bring glory to him in your vocation. We were created to work. Um, God placed Adam in the garden to work it and to take care of it. That was before the fall. And realize that you can bring glory to God by being the best worker on your job and letting letting it be known that you're a Christian. And um, yeah, as an old pastor friend of mine used to say, just let the chips fall where they may. <laughs> little things like that, little things like just letting it be known that you're a Christian. You don't have to be obnoxious. You don't have to be bombastic. You don't even have to be, you know, overly verbal. Just let it be known. I find that you're the people you're the person that somebody's going to come to when hardship comes into their life and they're asking for prayer, or yeah. they're going to wonder why you're not like them in their immorality or, or other things. And I think that's exactly what Peter is talking about when he says, always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that is in you. He expects Christians to be asked. And the reason he expects Christians to be asked is that they exemplify a godly lifestyle mm-hmm. wherever they are. If you look at First Peter um, 1, 2, and 3, uh, there are various circumstances of life that are, that are there. There's marriage, there's relationship to the government, there's your work life, um, and I think that it's in those categories or aspects of life where we demonstrate evident, manifest, obvious godliness that lead you stick out like a sore thumb, and, and people lead, lead people to ask, hey, what's with you? And that's why you always need to be ready to give an answer. <laughs> yeah. Does, is that helpful? Yeah, very. We have a couple of minutes left yet. Um, Pastor Paul Murphy is our guest today. Um, 
I don't know if the, you have a website or email or anything. I don't know if, if somebody needs to get a hold of you. Is there a way to sure. do that? Sure. My email is uh, P.T. Murphy, uh, P. Peter T. Thomas Murphy, M-U-R-P-H-Y, all one word, P.T. Murphy, at murphnyc.org. That's M as in Mr. E as in Robert uh, e is in Edward, R is in Robert, F is in Frank, NYC is in New York City, all one word, murphnyc.org. Um, and that's that's my email. Uh, I'd be glad to hear from any of uh, those that are listening and uh, talk further about this um, or answer any questions that you might have or even just, um, yeah, get a phone call and maybe pray with you. Hmm. Very good. Say it one more time. It was uh, unfamiliar sure. with me. It's to me. Sure. P.T. Murphy at murphnyc.org. So that's P. Paul T. Thomas Murphy, M-U-R-P-H-Y, P.T. Murphy at murphnyc, M is in Mr., E is in Edward, R is in Robert, F is in Frank, NYC is in New York City, all one word, murphnyc.org. Okay, I got it now. Yeah, that's helpful. Well, yeah. this has been wonderful, and uh, our listeners don't realize that you agreed to this interview at the very last minute, and it's so hard to get interviews, and we thank you very much for your flexibility, and um, may the Lord en- enable you to um, keep going, and may the fruit be great, uh, Pastor Murphy, and thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you. I appreciate it. Deeply appreciate it. Anytime. God bless you. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.